You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW Talknet. Hi everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with Judicial Watch's weekly update here on social media. Thank you for joining us this week. A lot to talk about. The deep state is engaged in many rear guard actions against our constitutional republic that I'll talk about. The president is under continued harassment and assault, lawlessly based. Uh, in my view, to try to drive him from office prematurely. Really outrageous activity going on. It has not stopped. In many ways, it's increased, and I'll talk about that. Uh, but standing on the wall is Judicial Watch, and we have new information about the Obama State Department's role in the coup cabal, the seditious conspiracy against our republic, the attack on uh, then-candidate Trump, and then uh, and then, of course, the incoming president. Uh, so it's just some astonishing documents confirming the State Department's at the center of some of this anti-Trump activity. And uh, we've got the documents that show it. Plus, speaking of assaults on our constitutional republic, the left is taking up the cause of, quote, reforming the Electoral College, which, of course, was set up as a, a compromise between big and small states uh, and led to the creation. It, allowed the, it was a key compromise that was allowed the Constitution to be instituted. Uh, so the left, of course, unhappy with the recent election results, have decided to upend the Constitution. And Judicial Watch, again, is taking a leadership role there. So I'll talk about that as well. Uh, but first up is the continued attacks on President Trump, uh, efforts to undermine the rule of law, uh, both from, again, within the deep state, within the administration, from uh, the anti-Trump faction in the House of Representatives, and then, of course, you have their allies in the liberal media. You know, and I say liberal media, but, you know, I, I really even hate the call of the media these days. Uh, there is much media, at least as Judicial Watch is media. In my view, many of these media outlets, the mainstream ones that you are used to seeing, CBS, NBC, The Washington Post, you name it, MSNBC, CNN, I've taken the calling them liberal advocacy groups. Now, it doesn't mean they can't engage in journalism from time to time and do press things, but at the end of the day, they're liberal advocacy groups. And you see that in the coverage of the president's comments in an interview with George Stephanopoulos, who was a Clinton operative. He worked for the Clinton campaign, excuse me, for Hillary, well, yeah, he worked for the Clinton campaign uh, back uh, when President Clinton first ran and won for office. He worked in the Clinton White House, then he left the Clinton White House, eventually was hired by ABC News. You know, and there was a lot of outrage when George Stephanopoulos was first hired by ABC News because uh, he was a, a political operative and he was being hired by uh, a, a major television network news uh, outlet. And, you know, nowadays that often happens, but back then it didn't happen at least in such a high-profile way. And ABC News assured Americans at the time, oh, don't worry, George Stephanopoulos is just going to be a commentator. Well, it turns out he's one of the key leaders in their news division now. And uh, it doesn't mean he's a terrible journalist and such, but, it just, but he is a partisan liberal Democrat. And uh, he may do good journalism, he may do good interviews from time to time, uh, but he, he's, he's certainly not a conservative, to put it charitably. So he had an interview with President Trump, and he was asked, uh, and you've probably seen the clip, uh, would he call the FBI if approached by a foreign government with information? And President Trump answered quite sensibly, 
Well, what do you mean? I don't, I don't know what you mean. Uh, if the government, if a foreign government or foreigners contacted me uh, and they had information on my opponent, I would listen to what they have to say. And if there was some issue with what they were saying, I'd contact the FBI. But the idea that you don't listen to sources of information because they might come from foreigners or foreign governments is obviously absurd. And uh, then Stephanopoulos says, well, you know, the FBI director says you need to contact the FBI. And President Trump said, well, the FBI director's wrong. And so the predictable, hypocritical, liberal media outrage machine went into high gear. The president is a traitor. He says he'd be willing to work with foreign governments to go after his political opponents as if President, uh, excuse me, well, yeah, President Obama did it. Uh, and then Hillary Clinton, of course, did it with the DNC and uh, uh, to hire Fusion GPS, who hired a foreign spy who worked with Russia Intel to attack President Trump. So you had Hillary Clinton, the Democratic president, working hand in glove with the Obama administration to take Russia intelligence information that came from government operatives, obviously, or so they tell us, to target then-candidate Trump. And they are yelling about the fact that President Trump says, well, you know, if there's information on the candidate, I'll listen to it, and if need be, I'll contact the FBI. But there's no requirement to contact the FBI. Certainly, if issues are raised that make you wonder if there's a foreign intelligence operation at, going on here or something like that, it might be appropriate to do it. But we do not live in a totalitarian state where we have to communicate our contacts with foreigners to the government. That's what totalitarian states demand of. Remember in the old former Soviet Union, you know, they wanted to know your contacts and communications with foreigners. You were required oftentimes to report that. Is that what they're suggesting now be the case? Hillary Clinton did it. You know, and I was on Hannity this week and I made the point, Hillary Clinton not only got, quote, dirt on her opponent from a foreign government, she got cash from her foreign government partner. As Judicial Watch exposed through Judicial Watch Freedom of Information Act litigation, she received $500,000 personally. How? Through her husband, who got a speaking fee from a Russian front foreign government, uh, excuse me, from a Russia front company. It was an investor for uh, essentially the Russian government, so it was a Russian government operation. They gave him $500,000 to make a speak in speech in Russia. You know, I don't care if you're a former president or not, $500,000 is not a normal speaking fee. And so when you give money personally for a speaking fee to Bill Clinton, you know, the media would like you to forget this, but Bill and Hillary Clinton are married, so his money is her money. So she's Secretary of State, and he's getting cash from the Russia government, quite, quite readily apparent. And he also received cash from other speaking engagements with foreign governments. So she's getting cash directly from these governments through her husband's speaking fees. And we also know separately that millions of dollars, of course, our U.S. intelligence agencies knew this but didn't care, 
because it was Hillary Clinton and it was Democrats and they protect their own, tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions, funneled not only to their coffers personally, but to the Clinton Foundation with the hopes of getting a good result on that Uranium One deal. And the president is called a traitor for doing nothing wrong other than suggesting that, yeah, if people have information about my opponent and they're foreigners, of course I might listen. And yeah, I might contact the FBI if it's appropriate. That's the law. People are suggesting the law is you can't talk to foreigners. You can't accept, quote, any information from them. It's not the law. And if it were the law, it'd be unconstitutional. The law prevents foreign governments or foreigners from contributing directly cash contributions to campaigns. But the idea that candidates don't talk to foreign nationals is just absurd. You had members of Congress, Democrats, trying to reach out to the Russians. There, you know, there's a recording of Adam Schiff with someone who's pretending to be a Russian, and he's quite happy to talk to him because he had dirt, pretending to have dirt on President uh, Trump. Christopher Steele's a foreign national. Oh, the left says, well, he was hired. So it's okay if you pay the Russians for dirt on your opponent, but you can't talk to the Russians for dirt on your opponent. It doesn't make any sense, does it? You know why it doesn't make any sense? Because the left is desperate, specifically the Democratic left, because their party was caught in the worst corruption scandal in American history, which is the use of the intelligence agencies in virtually every major agency in the federal government to target one man, Donald Trump. There are other people around him targeted, but the goal was to target and destroy him through spying and other illicit activities. President Trump is a crime victim. They've been caught as the perps of the crime. So they're going to do everything they can to distract with that, from that, including all of this noise about President Trump's innocent comments. But that's just the first part of the deep state, as I say, counterattacks. I've been taking a saying, you know, it's been like a battle of bulge every day against the deep state here, because every step is faced with a counterattack. And uh, you have the Democrats. Uh, attacking the administration through fraudulent contempt citations this week. I think they voted out of committee two contempt citations against Wilbur Ross, who's head of the Commerce Department, and uh, I think A.G. Barr over their failure to turn over certain Census Department documents. Well, what is the argument here? First of all, they don't have a right to the documents, so the contempt is meritless. Trust me on that. Uh, and if they did, it's the sort of thing you negotiate your way through. Uh, you know, this is a fight they're trying to pick because they're desperate. Why are they desperate? Because President Trump's Census Department has decided it might be good and they wanted to add the question to the census, uh, figuring out how many foreign nationals are present here in the United States. As Jim Jordan said, the left is desperate for you not to know that. And I think he said more specifically, don't even, the, the mirror image of that is they don't want you to know how many Americans are present here in the United States. 
and Judicial Watch has participated in an amicus brief before the Supreme Court that's hearing left-wing challenges to the right of the Census Bureau to ask this question. To, just, to, just, to even say there's a challenge kind of tells you that the challenge is probably not going to survive because it doesn't make much sense. Of course, the Census Department can ans answer that, uh, ask that common sense type of question. And it looks like the, court here, uh, the Supreme Court heard the oral arguments recently, uh, had oral arguments on the issue recently, and it looks like uh, there's a majority in favor of letting the rule of law prevail here and getting answers to these questions. So the left is picking a fake fight with the Trump administration on the Census Bureau question. Then you have uh, the continued harassment of the president's family. You have the uh, Don Trump Jr. having to go to the Senate to testify again. The Senate Foreign Intelligence, uh, no, the Senate Intelligence Committee, nominally run by Democrats, well, excuse me, nominally run by Republicans, effectively run by Democrats, had brought Donald Trump Jr. in for another harassing deposition. He had to answer more questions based on what? Michael Cohen, the president's former attorney, admitted liar. Then you have Adam Schiff over at the House Intelligence Committee issue more subpoenas, basically designed to retread the Russia investigation again. Four or five investigations. We talked about last week how Nancy Pelosi said the president ought to be in jail. Well, that's what this is about, destroying the president. And when Nancy Pelosi pretends not to be in favor of impeachment, oh, please. Jerry Nadler is her guy. He's the head of the Judiciary Committee. He's in favor of impeachment. Do you think he's doing that contrary to the wishes of Nancy Pelosi? That's not the way the House of Representatives works. Both on the Republican and the Democratic side, the chairmen are creatures of the speaker. I don't like that. I don't like it when the Republicans are running things and frankly, uh, if you're a liberal, you may want your chairman to be more independent as well, don't you think? But that's not the way it works. It's politics in the House there. The speaker picks the chairman. And they don't go out and, and uh, go rogue on impeachment without the speaker's say-so. So this is a death by a thousand cuts. This is presidential harassment. This is a slow-motion coup. They're trying to generate the narrative justifying impeachment and removal of the president. Now, they may not succeed in any of that, but they like the politics of it, which is, I guess, all is fair in love in politics, right? But if it were just politics, I wouldn't be yelling about it. But you have an affront to the rule of law here. Misuse of the contempt power, harassing individuals with government subpoenas, albeit congressional subpoenas. Suggesting that Americans be nervous about talking to foreigners about politics. That's what you heard this week. They want you to be worried about the FBI coming knocking on your door 
if you talk to foreigners about policy. This is the same group of people who want millions of foreign nationals to come into the United States every year. So they don't, there's no principle involved here. They don't care about foreigners talking to people about policy. They're just using it as an argument to try to destroy the president. And if the First Amendment gets in the way, they don't care. They don't care. And that's why I'm so proud of Judicial Watch's work, because we're just not sitting by and complaining about this. We're trying to get the documents about the truth of the conspiracy, the truth of the sedition, the truth of the cabal, the truth of this greatest government corruption scandal in American history. Judicial Watch, we're an anti-corruption group. This is the biggest issue we've ever seen. We're celebrating our 25th anniversary this year. I've been here 21 years. I was here during the, the Clinton administration when they were using FBI files and targeting people with the IRS. You know, that's not a new thing, guys. When they were taking money from the Chinese to secure their power. Again, foreign money in politics, not a new thing. And of course, those of you older lived through Watergate. Misuse of government agencies to go after your political opponents, government resources to go after your political opponents. Not a new thing. But with Obama and this current coup cabal, all of this has been, all of this has metastasized. Open alliance with the Russians to target Trump. Using the FBI, the CIA, the Justice Department to spy on a campaign. And then when you say it's spying, they tell you you're not allowed to use the word spy. Orwell wants to be turning over in his grave. Nothing like it in American history. Worse than Watergate. The left had the temerity to bring in John Dean the corrupt attorney general under Nixon, who's made a career of attacking Republicans. What's that syndrome when you, uh, you uh, sympathize with your hostage shakers? What? Stockholm syndrome, whatever you want to call it. So uh, uh, Mr. Dean, uh, who was essentially put in jail by the left, has made a career of kowtowing to the very groups that uh, wanted to uh, put him away by pretending all Republicans are like Nixon. I know I've, I've jokingly put out on Twitter and elsewhere on social media, you know who's like Nixon? Barack Obama. In fact, Barack Obama makes Nixon seem like an amateur when it comes to resource, uh, marshalling the resources of government to target his political opposition. He suppressed an entire political movement against him using the IRS. He and his Democratic allies at the IRS and the Congress, and they all worked together to target the Tea Party. It helped him stay in power in 2012. Tea Party was, was essentially put out by the IRS. 
They said, oh, we, we had the IRS do this for this in 2012. What are we going to do with 2016? Hey, let's double down. Go with the FBI, DOJ, CIA. We'll just spy on the campaign. Oh, we got to be sure to protect our candidate from the consequences of her rather obvious criminal behavior, Hillary. And we'll spread the smear that Russia helped him win and Russia was behind his campaign success and candidacy. Remember, the smear didn't begin after he won. It began before he won. This smear operation went out before he won, and it came with the help of the Obama administration. Like I said, Nixon's an amateur compared to the crowd that was running the Obama administration. And we've got more documents. This is what I said, you know, we're not standing by and just commenting and watching what's happening. We're getting the word out, obviously, which is important. Because, you know, believe it or not, you may feel as strongly about this as I do. Not too many people in Washington care. One whit. President cares. There are a few members of Congress who recognize the threat to the Republic as a result of this misconduct. Most of the Republican establishment doesn't care. And obviously the Democrats don't care. They did it. In fact, you had a key Republican establishment member involved in spreading the smear, John McCain. His close associates were spreading the dossier. So what is Judicial Watch doing about it? We're getting the records. We're suing in federal court, exposing the truth. As Congress is either complicit or incompetent in getting the information out, and complicit, at least with the House Democrats right now, in suppressing it and trying to hide it and avoid it. And the deep state doesn't want to turn over anything, so we have to sue. And one of these suits led to some massive disclosures recently with, uh, from the State Department. We sued with the Daily Caller News Foundation, which does excellent reporting on this. Uh, Chuck Ross, who works over there, he was on our recent deep state panel with Carter Page. I hope you saw that. If you haven't, we'll put a link in there. Uh, so Chuck has been one of those leading journalists kind of uh, reporting on this. And uh, so we sued for documents uh, back, again, in April of last year for, um, I mean, three FOIA requests. We essentially were asking for the State Department's contacts and communications with Steele, Orbis Business Intelligence, which was Steele's group, and specifically this guy, Anthony Weiner. Who's Anthony Weiner? Well, he was the Libya coordinator. He was special envoy for Libya. And uh, he worked in the Kerry State Department, and he was close to Steele. And uh, he confirmed that he was working with Steele, got some information from him on the dossier. He was also talking to Sidney Blumenthal and Cody Shear, who were two Clinton operatives with terrible reputations. And he was sharing their dirt because they had a version of their dossier. Remember, there was more than one dossier. You had, the, quote, the Steele dossier. Then you had other dossiers being created by the Obama administration, specifically this guy, Jonathan Weiner, who was talking to Clinton campaign allies and operatives. 
and writing that up, giving it to Steele, who then gave it to the FBI. How do I know this? Weiner admitted to it in the Washington Post last year. So obviously we wanted to know about what was going on there. So we sued and we've got uh, two batches of documents, about 40 so, let's see, 60 pages between the two batches of documents and they confirm the close working relationship between not only Christopher Steele and the State Department, but the way it was laundered through, not only through the Justice Department and the FBI, but to guess what, the Democrats in the House. So the first batch of documents confirmed that Steele had a long working relationship with Weiner. Weiner was doing all sorts of work for Steele, helping him set up meetings with, uh, let me get my glasses here, meetings with other uh, government officials. Going back to 2014, he's pushing his reports to Victoria Newland, who was a uh, top official in the State Department. On, and the reports were on, um, you know, Russia and things like that. Newland was Deputy, uh, Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs. So she's the Russia, Russia person at the State Department. So Weiner is pushing Steele's material to her, beginning in 2014. And then in November 20th, 2014, Weiner openly acts as a liaison for Steele, attempting to set up meetings and referencing his three reports in the subject line of the email. This meeting was scheduled to be with uh, a, a person who was an office manager in, uh, again, that office that Newland runs. working with an outside groups to help Steele as well. Just an incredible series of emails. This is probably the more interesting of the emails here. January 20th, uh, 12th, 2017, you know, this is right beginning, end of the Obama era, beginning of the Trump era. The president's gonna be inaugurated a few weeks later. Weiner gets an email from a Hollywood producer asking him, asking him Dear Jonathan, I've been meaning to write to you and just came across this article which mentions your name. Let's do a movie about this. Referencing a, a smearing article from the independent left-wing newspaper in the UK. I was wondering if you decided what your next position will be after leaving government. I'd like to keep in touch and get together next time in Washington. I'm working on a mini-series about Watergate with ABC on, with John Dean. So this is what's going on at the State Department. They're gleefully working with Christopher Steele. And it shows these documents how well-positioned Steele was to use Weiner because they had this relationship going back several years. But this producer email is kind of rich. Because, it, well, the Hollywood producer, by the way, is a Clinton friend. Now, I'm sure they talk about making movies in Washington all the time. Maybe Judicial Watch should make a movie. I don't know, you know, we can, we can decide who's going to play who. But uh, for a Hollywood producer to approach a government official about making a movie, 
That's unusual. Oh, wait, it's not unusual for the Obama administration. Because you remember the Obama gang was helping those producers of the movie about the bin Laden raid by leaking them classified information because they thought it might come out during the election season and make them look good. So just watch and cover all that. But then it gets worse because the next batch of documents show that Weiner was obviously working with Steele directly in September of 2016, two months before the election. It was on Russia. We're not asking for documents about non-Russia-related material here. This is right on target. We've got the emails documenting the relationship between Steele and Weiner on Russia. And who were they talking to once they got all this information? This is what goes on. Steele talks to Weiner. Weiner talks to Newland, who's the top dog in the State Department under Obama on Russia. And who does Newland call? Steny Hoyer's office. His national security advisor, who writes her, you've been a warrior on these issues, and I look forward to speaking further to preserve and wherever possible strengthen the important work you have done. So you've got a number of emails. Uh, you know, Steele's talking to uh, Weiner in 2016. And then they're coordinating with Hoyer in 2017. This is after the election. Excuse me, in November of 2016, after the election. So painstakingly, over a series of emails and, and through litigation that's gone on for a year plus, Judicial Watch has been able to lay out the Obama State Department's key role in this Get Trump effort. You may recall other documents we've uncovered that show that uh, the State Department was desperate to get out classified information, the Obama State Department, to their friends in Congress before Trump was elected or, uh, nom uh, excuse me, inaugurated. Well, that's inappropriate because to send out classified information to people who don't need to see it for improper purposes is illegal. Maybe the Attorney General can investigate that. In fact, one of the emails show we made the deadline. It was the day before the inauguration. They were trying to get the dirt out on Trump and Russia. That's what the documents suggest. And don't take my word for it. You can go to our internet site and look at all of this. But it's clearer than day the State Department was a center of anti-Trump activity just as much as the DOJ and the FBI and Peter Strzok and his insurance policies. Peter Strzok didn't need an insurance policy. The State Department was doing it. Going after Trump. So we can complain that Director Ray needs to clean up the FBI, the AG needs to clean up the DOJ. Secretary Pompeo needs to figure out what was going on in the State Department. So I don't know what's happening with the Attorney General's investigation. There was a letter that was sent out to Congress this week describing what he's doing. It's a review. I don't know if it's going to be lead to criminal charges or not. 
a review isn't a criminal investigation. There are grand juries or not, I don't know for sure. People who know Barr assure me that he's going to do the right thing here, and I hope he does. I hope he does. Uh, but Judicial Watch doesn't rely on the government to do the right thing. It's, we do our own thing. So that's why we sue to get these documents out there. My guess is we're getting documents that the Justice Department is just finding out about because of our FOIA disclosures not because they were voluntarily turned over in any review. I guarantee you that's what's happening. So um, 50 lawsuits on the state effort to take out President Trump, and we're getting results. Uh, the other big issue, as I talked about, was uh, you know the left isn't, sufficient, isn't happy just to overturn our constitutional system of government through the illegal removal of the President of the United States, They've got a lot of irons in the fire in attacking our system. And one of the irons in the fire is undoing the Electoral College, which is the result of a compromise between, uh, among the Founding Fathers to ensure the Constitution uh, was enacted and set up. And the uh, compromise was, how is it you take, uh, and this is obviously uh, only one aspect of the various compromises between the large and small states uh, of the original 13 states and colonies, is how do, how, does, how do the small states protect their sovereignty and not be overwhelmed in a new constitutional system by large states? One of the ways you do that is through the Senate, where every state, no matter its size, gets two senators. The other compromise is the Electoral College. The presidential campaign is not a national campaign. It is a campaign among 50 states and the District of Columbia. The electoral votes uh, are uh, it, it's, it, the states, you win the state, depending on how the states allocate the electoral votes, you, it's usually winner take all. There are a few states where it's not. And you need a sufficient number of electoral votes as a result of victories. to ultimately become president. So in many ways, your vote in November is just the first step in the presidential, in the step to uh, elect the president. Now the left hates this recently because two presidents, it's happened five times that a president has lost the popular vote, but won the electoral college vote and thus became president. It happened with President Bush, and it happened with President Trump. So that even before President Trump won the election without supposedly winning the popular vote, uh, the left has been pushing for what is called a, I'm gonna name it, I wanna name it appropriately or get it accurate, the uh, National What's it called? The National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. So what the theory is, when a state, and this is according to, I think, the uh, National Conference on State Legislatures. So when a state passes legislation to join the National Popular Vote Compact, it pledges that all of the state's electoral votes will be given to whichever presidential candidate wins the popular vote nationwide, 
rather than the candidate who won the vote in just that state. And these, this, this, these bills would take effect or the laws would only become meaningful only when the states with a majority electoral votes have passed similar legislation and joined the compact. So what that means is until they get those sufficient number of states, they, there's no change in the way electoral votes would be allocated. Now this is a threat to our constitutional republic. That's not the way the founders set up the system. That's not the way the electoral college is supposed to work. I mean, you can think of the number of objections to that. Imagine, let's say, living in a, uh, a state like, well, let's say you're a Democrat living in New York and the popular vote and New York goes to the Democrat candidate, as it often does, but the popular vote is won by the Republican. Well, your state sovereignty and your vote means jack because all of those electoral votes, despite who you voted for, from your state would go to the Republican because Republicans in other parts of the country voted in, or independents or whoever, voted in large enough numbers to override your state's sovereign decision through its voters to vote for the Democrat. Now, truth be told, Democrats want this because they want to use that exactly as I described. They do not want conservative states like Texas and Florida, or nominally conservative states like Florida, because it can go either way, obviously. All those electoral college votes and not conservative states in the heartland and elsewhere and the southwest and wherever, I mean the southeast, to overcome their huge popular vote, vote margins that the liberals are able to get in states like California and New York. So in essence, it would undo the compromise that our founders initiated or, or that, uh, that was, uh, resulted in our Constitution. I mean, small states signed up based on this condition that their rights and sovereignty would be protected by the Electoral College. They want to undo that. These left us behind this. And so now that Trump has benefited from the Electoral College, they really hate the Electoral College. So it would give an outsized influence to these big liberal states, which is what they want to secure their presidencies for world without end. And obviously it would make it easier or more significant. Uh, it would make voter fraud even more tempting than it already is because you run up the numbers with voter fraud because it's all about getting the popular vote numbers. It's not about winning, independent, uh, winning elections in various states. It's about just getting votes, no matter where. So undoing the Electoral College, despite, in addition to the unconstitutional, the unconstitutional nature of it, because the real constitutional question is whether the states can just decide to undo the Electoral College this way. 
It would encourage voter fraud and really just undermine our elections. Because the wonderful thing about the Electoral College is, you know, look, there are states where candidates don't have to, uh, and this is only for presidential candidates because the Electoral College only applies to the presidency. You know, Democrats don't have to really campaign much in California. They go and raise money because California is seen as a solidly democratic state. And there are similar Republican states. So the wonderful thing about the Electoral College, it requires the candidates to go to smaller states because every Electoral College vote counts. So places like Iowa get attention, New Hampshire, New Mexico, you know, states with one, two, uh, you know, I think the minimum is three, three electoral college votes. I don't know if each, one, each state has three electoral college votes that I just named, but you, you get the picture. So it ensures that regional interests and state interests are, are at least acknowledged during the campaigns. That's the genius of our Constitution, and the left hates it because it gets in the way of their power, their quest for power. So in Colorado, Judicial Watch is working with a reporter for the not the Daily Caller News Foundation, the Free Beacon, Washington Free Beacon, Todd Shepard, great reporter. Colorado passed this voter bill, this electoral college attack. It was signed by the governor. The secretary of state applauded it. And I want you to read, I want to read um, the statement Secretary of State Jenna Griswold put out there when she, um, when, the, when her governor signed this law. The Secretary of State, I'm guided and inspired by the principle of one person, one vote. Well, we don't have one person and one vote in our country. I just told you the Senate isn't one person and one vote. We're a republic. We don't have one person and one vote. The national popular vote upholds this principle. And uh, she, wrote, she misspelled principle. She said P-R-I-N-C... I-P-A-L, should be P-L-E, right? And ensures that every citizen's vote matters equally, equally regardless of geography, race, income, religion, or gender. And then she applauds the Colorado legislature and the governor for putting, putting the voters of Colorado second to the agenda of the national left. But I want to read that again. Regardless of geography, race, income, religion, or gender. That's just, that's, that's kind of loony leftist talk. This, this is a crazy identity politics that has nothing to do with the Electoral College. Nothing to do with the Electoral College. I mean, they suggest our Constitution is set up to attack people, uh, the Electoral College is set up to discriminate by geography, race, income, religion, or gender. 
That encapsulates the left's approach to our system of government and our constitutional republic. And so uh, Todd Shepard, the reporter, asked the Secretary of State for documents about her involvement in this process. Per usual, they objected, they didn't want to turn over documents, so we're suing Colorado State Secretary of State for these documents. As I said, leftists in Colorado and other states want to undo the Electoral College and the U.S. Constitution in hopes of guaranteeing control of the presidency. The attack on the Electoral College would give outside, uncon outsized, unconstitutional influence to the large states and encourage voter fraud. It's got to be stopped. So we have joined the battle with this initial Freedom of Information Act lawsuit, or the Colorado equivalent of it. This is a state election of uh, open records lawsuit. I think it's the Colorado, Colorado Open Records Act. Not all the corruption and secrecy, illegal secrecy, is going on here in Washington. We're in the state's Judicial Watch is trying to protect the Constitution. And um, you know, we are concerned about the integrity of our elections. They want to make elections. The goal of the left is to make elections meaningless. They don't like it that they don't know what an election result's going to be. That's why President Trump horrified them. They thought they had it in the bag. So how do they do that? Well, well they got to fix the system. And I mean fix in the, in the dishonest way. Undo the Electoral College so they can run up numbers through fraud in places like California and Illinois. Attack voter ID, the few places where it's a strong element in election security. Make sure it's not passed anywhere else so they can steal votes if necessary. Keep the elections, election rolls dirty so they can use names to vote illegally. Oppose citizenship verification to allow aliens and foreigners to more easily illegally vote to help them steal elections when necessary. That's the left's agenda. That's what Judicial Watch opposes. And that's what our litigation and investigations and our educational activities are about. And I can tell you, it is I'd like to say David versus Goliath, but I think Judicial Watch is a bit of a Goliath these days. So we're taking it on. But the left has dozens of organizations, obviously elected officials, powerful government officials, allied against us. But we're doing a pretty good, a darn good job taking them on and holding them to account. Suing in Colorado, I told you previously about the victory in California. Well, we settled a case that is going to result in California removing up to 1.56 million inactive voters from their dirty election rolls. Successful defenses of voter ID and promoting the rule of law in our elections. Like I said, we're Goliaths in doing that work. And of course, we only do it with your support, and I, uh, I thank you for that, and I encourage you to give more support so we can do more of what I'm describing here. Before I go, I wish you fathers out there, fellow fathers out there, happy Father's Day. And I'm sure you share my concern for the future of the country 
we obviously do it for our Constitution, we do it for our Republic, but we also do it so that our children and grandchildren will have a legacy of freedom and not a legacy of oppression and lack of freedom uh, in the face of overarching, out-of-control government corruption. So thank you again and have a wonderful Father's Day weekend. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.